tried it both ways. Like, I've tried to, like, stand over there and, like, save my voice, you know, so that when I get up and speak, like, I'm not, like, straining. But, I, like, how do you do that? Like, how do you, like, sit in a room and worship is that intense and that amazing and just stand over there and, like, not, like, I just can't not sing. Like, so it takes me a few minutes to gather my thoughts. But today we're going to be talking from the topic of marked, called by the Savior. This is going to be our series this week and the next three weeks. So for four weeks in a row, we're going to be diving into this message series on, because prior to the cross, when Jesus began his ministry, he began his ministry by calling men and women to follow him and be his disciples. And so as we jump into this series, um, you know, we want to look at that because the invitation from Jesus to us remains unchanged. The call is to come and follow him and be his disciples. And he wants us to follow him as students and embrace his life and teaching in every area of our lives. So next week, we're going to come in and we're going to talk about who Jesus extends the invitation to. Who are those that Jesus has extended the invitation to follow him to? The week after, we're going to talk about overcoming challenges in this journey to following Jesus. How do we overcome the challenges that are real and raw that we have to, that we have to face when we decide to follow Jesus and then the last week, we're going to talk about following Jesus in the ordinary. Because there's sometimes there's like, it's easy when it's exciting, right? When, when your faith is exciting and vibrant and all that. But like, and just sometimes the mundane, ordinary, day-to-day task, how do we continue to follow Jesus? But this week, I want to answer one question. What is following Jesus? What does it really mean? Mark Batterson said in his book, All In, most people in most churches think they are following Jesus, but I'm not so sure. They may think they are following Jesus, but the reality is this. They have invited Jesus to follow them. Too many times I want Jesus to follow me, to serve my purposes, to do my will, but I want you to join me in saying, God, I want you to revive my life. I want to follow you. Help me get out of the way. Navigate my life into following your will. That's a, that quote like, like shook and challenged me to take a look at my life. Like, God, where have I invited you to follow me rather than the opposite of me following you and answering your call to come and follow me. There's a commitment that God's calling us to, and it's moving from this place beyond Jesus just being Savior, which he is, and that's all-encompassing. All encompassing. When I say this, I don't mean to minimize the reality of Jesus as Savior, because without Jesus saving us, where would we be? But as we mature in the call to follow Jesus, there's a shift that takes place in our relationship with Christ. We go from following him as Savior to making him Lord. And there's a very big difference in Savior and Lord. Lord is complete control of our lives as we make the decision to submit and follow after him. He becomes Lord of our lives. It's interesting, um, and hopefully this morning as we look at this call to follow Jesus, we'll make that decision 
to follow him and submit to his will as Lord over our lives. Over the last few months, I've been you know, really just trying to pray over a mission statement for the church. What, what was the future going to look like? Really starting to pray into the future and ask God what he wants to do here. And I've got a rough draft, so this isn't finalized yet of a mission statement, but this idea of follow Jesus is like right in the center of this mission statement as God is calling us to help every person follow Jesus, belong to a family, but faithfully serve. And I believe like as a church, as we start to look at a mission statement and what our future is going to look like, it all begins with following and then community and we move into a place where from our community, from our relationship with Christ, we faithfully serve those around us and our community. This idea as a church that we should be helping people following Jesus, but also passionately committed to following him ourselves. This idea of evangelism and discipleship being interconnected. They're not separate, but they're the same. True evangelism is raising people up, teaching them to follow Jesus so they, so they what? So they become disciples of Christ as well. And the idea of belonging to a family, the community, that we love one another, we're intentional about building life with one another, we pray for one another, we spend time with one another, and then faithfully serving we're people that are not just active in our church, but we're active in our community. We're figuring out how do we get this message outside of these walls and into our community. And that, that mission, again, still a rough draft, but one of those main three points is what we're talking about today. What does it mean to follow Jesus as we look at the Gospels, we see that around the age of 30, Jesus began his public ministry. First, he left Galilee, and he came to the Jordan River. He was looking for John the baptizer in order to be baptized. This happens in Matthew 3, verse 13. Next, Jesus was led into the wilderness for 40 days, where he overcame the temptation of the devil. It's Matthew chapter 4. Returning from the wilderness and full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus entered the synagogue in Nazareth and read from the scroll of Isaiah. This is Luke chapter 4, 16. From there, Jesus entered Capernaum, Luke 4, 31, to begin his teaching ministry. And it was at this place, after all that transpired, that Jesus began to issue the call for several people to follow him. And that's where we're going to look at our main verse today. If you have your script Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 4 with me. Or if you have your phone, you can pull that out, open up your version, whatever your favorite Bible app is. And let's look at verses 18 through 22. That's a long intro. I still got... Only thinking about that because we were talking with some folks that are helping in children's ministry yesterday. And my wife was like, well, what, somebody asked what time we should be done. <laughs> and my wife just kind of chuckled. Well, between 11 and 11.20, depending on... Um, Matthew 4, 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once their nets, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, 
James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Verse 22, they left the boat and their father and followed him. We can go throughout the rest of the Gospels and see all the other accounts where Jesus called people to follow him. But I love this idea here in verse 22. They left the boat and their father. They began to order their lives differently for the sake of following Jesus. Their lives began to look differently. They left the family business. They were probably working for dad. I don't know if it was a good job or a great job. I don't know, maybe dad was a lousy boss. I have no clue But they left their dad. They ordered their lives differently to follow Jesus. The Greek word for disciple means that we're to be learners or pupils. This idea of discipleship, it's all about being an apprentice. It's all about making the decision to follow Jesus, but growing in the faith, leaving our old life behind, and following him, following his will for our life. These disciples were making a decision to order their lives around following Jesus. And I want to challenge us with the same thing today. And so I've got three simple points today about how we can order our lives around three primary purposes to follow Jesus. And the first, the first way we follow Jesus is by being with God. It's not the same for us today as it was for Matthew, Philip, Bartholomew, and all that, right? I mean, they were literally living with him. They walked with him. They did life with him every single day, flesh and blood. I mean, they were, like, right here. I imagine they could go to whatever the local equivalent of Starbucks was at the time, you know, and have a loaf of bread and a few fish and have a conversation with Jesus. It's not the same for us. It's different nowadays. The idea of being with Jesus isn't necessarily sitting down with Jesus for loaf and fish or your favorite latte, but it's an opportunity to reinforce the need for consistent spiritual discipline in our life. These are the things that draw us closer to the Father. But even more so than that, it's the opportunity to recognize that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so while we might not have the physical Jesus right in front of us, we have his spirit that's been deposited inside of us. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Romans 8.11, another one of my favorites. The same spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you. As followers of Jesus, as those who have made the commitment to follow him, that Holy Spirit has been deposited inside of us. Talk about being with God. God's with us. He's there. We don't have to question being with God because his spirit is in us. Yet this relationship is one that can easily be neglected just like any other relationship. John Wesley said that the neglect of prayer is a grand hindrance to holiness. It's up for me to make a decision to arrange my life to be 
with God. Remember, if we look at the chief purpose of Jesus, the modern church didn't exist as we see it today. We weren't doing what we do here. And when Jesus was apprenticing these disciples, when he was training them and developing them, his chief purpose was to teach them how to just simply do life with God. How to bring God into their everyday, ordinary life. We should be with God. This labor of becoming a disciple, being with the Father, making a commitment, tap into our prayer life, tap into our spiritual discipline, living in the confidence that the Holy Spirit has been deposited inside of us with the Father and learning Jesus. It's almost like that childlike faith. When your kid is at that age where they just want to be with you all the time. You know what I'm saying? They grow out of that now. Chloe runs away from me all the time. Now, there she is. <laughs> right? But that early stage, those first few years, when they start to get their words and they start to walk around and they just want to be close to you. I mean, that's what I want out of my father. Like, I just, I just want to be with my dad. I just want to be with Jesus. We be with God. The second thing is following Jesus looks like becoming like Jesus. What does it mean to become like him? This is where we get into the part of the message where this isn't the topic easy to talk about. People don't like to talk about sin. I don't mind so much because it's the reality of the gospel. Because as we follow Jesus, living like Jesus means dying to self. It means killing the flesh. It means understanding that sin is destructive. And Jesus set the example. He was perfect and spotless. And while that's an example that we can maybe never reach, obviously, because we're sinful, we're flesh, we're flawed, it doesn't mean we shouldn't look inward and acknowledge the sin in our lives because it's destructive. And we've seen the effects of living a lifestyle of sin. We've seen some of the extremes of it. You don't have to look any further. And for instance, in 2020, all the alcoholism and addiction and you know, the, the infidelity stuff that we see in the news, we see the extreme of sin. And this is destructive. It absolutely is destructive. But it should be equally as obvious that the things of this world are just as destructive. Let me explain. The unbelieving culture, us buying into that unbelieving culture, responding to the offers for pleasure and self-gratification at every turn, buying into these lies where culture tells us that it's okay to simply live our truth, 
Let me clear this up for just a second. While culture may say it's okay to live our truth, there is no your truth. There is no my truth. There is just the truth. And it's rooted in Jesus Christ where he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Culture may say that it's okay for us to live life, to gratify our own happiness, regardless of the misery our decision creates. As long as we live our truth, that's all that matters. Who cares about the consequences? Misery loves company. But this type of living offers no eternal perspective. And it will leave you bankrupt. Morally, emotionally, spiritually, it will bankrupt you. And the Bible is clear about exposing this mindset for what it is. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God will live forever. It's up to us to be countercultural. Francis Chan is one of my favorite authors, but he, one of the things he says is, when our lives make sense to the world, something's wrong. And as we make this decision, leading into Easter, looking at what discipleship is, and we lead, we look into following Jesus for real, part of that is rejecting the lies of culture and deciding as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we're going to live differently than that. And it may cost us some friends, it may cost us some followers, but it won't cost us eternity. And that's the big picture. Discipleship. We're living as lifelong learners. We're spending time with God. We're dealing with the sin in our lives so we can become like Jesus. We're growing. We're learning. Becoming like Jesus as an apprentice that word is such an incredible picture of what it means to be a disciple. I love the idea of apprenticeship, and it, it, it bothers me so much that we've got away from it a little bit in culture. It's not as popular as it used to be when it came to training people up on jobs because there's, there's nothing like being able to raise somebody up and showing them exactly what you do, and they're able to watch you then do the work with your hands, their hands alongside of you. It's an amazing thing. And apprenticeship is concerned with two things. Number one, personal experience and development, right? When you're, when you're apprenticing somebody, you want them to have the experience of doing it, but you also want to develop them. And the second thing is that hopefully at the end of that apprenticeship, they spent time with God. They're becoming like God. They spent time with the, with, with, with the, I don't know what the word is, the apprentor, maybe? What's that right? My mind is not working. The apprentice spends time with the expert. Let's go there, okay? They become like the expert, and then hopefully, as they've been with him, they become like them. They're able to go to work and do what he did. What a beautiful picture of discipleship. We make a decision to follow. We spend time with Jesus. From our time with Jesus, 
we become like Jesus, then he anoints us to a destiny, a vocation in the purposes of God, if you will. And we begin to do what Jesus did, point three this morning. We're doing what he did. And I think sometimes we get tripped up here because immediately we flip our Bibles open and we go to the most extravagant miracle that we can read in the Gospels. I'm like, oh, there's a blind guy over there. I mean, should I, should I find some mud and some spit? Like, and just go, like, honestly, you guys know that story, right? It's in there. Jesus made a mud cake and put it in a blind guy's eye and he was healed. Like, it's in the Bible. I'm not crazy. But sometimes we think about doing what Jesus did and like, like I, I can't walk on water. Like, like, I can't even, like, I can't even make my groceries at home multiply to feed the kids that I have in the house. How in the world am I going to feed 5,000 people? The grocery bill sure does multiply. Whew. But sometimes we get this messed up. We think about doing what Jesus did, and we go to the extreme. But I want you to see the beauty in Jesus' lifestyle. Because he simply served and was just a blessing to other people. He did what he could with what he had in his hands. What he had before him, he made the best of it. And yes, for him, that was miracles. And listen, I have no doubt that Jesus can do miracles today. I believe he can. But sometimes we get hung up on that, and we miss the opportunity to see the single mother that lives near us that could just think and use a night alone. And we have the ability to open our home and watch the kids put her up in a hotel room so she can enjoy some quiet. That's being like Jesus just as much as the spit pie. Hello? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm glad y'all laughed because I laughed so hard at that last night when I was preparing this. But the truth, the raw truth in this part of the message, as we grow from being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did, is understanding as followers of Christ, our lives matter most when they're lived in service to other people. That's what this is all about. That's the end game of all of this. Jesus used what he had at hand, and that's what he's calling you to do. It's not complicated, and don't miss this, though. Please don't miss the progression of these three points. Because if you try to go out and do what Jesus did without spending any time with him, and you miss that middle part where you're becoming like him, somebody's going to say something sideways to you while you're out trying to do what Jesus did, and you're going to completely blow it. Just be honest, that's me too. But as we follow Jesus, we spend time with him, we become like him, then we're equipped to do what he did. And if you're trying to do what he did and you can't quite figure it out and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't really know what to do next, revert back to point number one. Go spend more time with him. And then you're going to become more like him. Then you'll be equipped and ready to step out and do what he did. It's a beautiful cycle that you can just continue to play over and over and over in your life. I'm spending time with him. I'm becoming like him. I'm stepping out and doing what he called me to do. And I love Acts 4.13 because in those moments when I feel like 
I don't have what it takes to do what Jesus has called me to do. It happens quite a bit. Man, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to lead this person to salvation. I don't know if I have the skills. Acts 14, Acts 4.13 is one of my favorite, most encouraging verses where it says, Now when they beheld the boldness of Peter and John and had perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Your antidote to doing what God's called you to do, just go spend some time with Jesus. You don't need a degree. You don't need anybody else's approval. You don't need to have all your theology in order. Just go spend time with him. Because when you're with him, that Holy Spirit that's in you, people see that and they marvel. I can tell you've been spending some time with Jesus. You've been with him. You become like him, and then you're able to do what he did. As a wrap-up, I want to invite the worship team to come. I think it's important as I hit the kind of the final portion of this message to note one thing. And I like to note this because every message comes back to salvation. It all comes back to the cross. And the reality is, we live in a performance-driven culture today. Our culture is highly performance-driven. And so the one thing I want to make clear is that we don't follow Jesus to earn his love, to earn his acceptance, or forgiveness. This idea of doing this isn't a religious obligation mindset. It's a response. Big difference between responded and being obligated. It's a response to his love and mercy. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. And I did not paste that in here. It is by grace we've been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. Thank God for Teen Challenge. Glad I remembered that one. But this thing isn't, it's not an obligation. It's not a religious mindset. We respond to the mercy and the grace that we've received from God. We respond. So this morning, you can stand with me as we close. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a second, please. If you would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, I, um, I need to follow Jesus. Like I hear you talking about it. But I've, man, that quote from Mark Batterson really hit me. What are the areas in my life that I've invited Jesus to follow me versus responding to the call to follow him? Have I responded to Jesus' call to follow him or are I simply inviting him along for the ride of my life? Pause and reflect for a second.
you would say, you know what, Pastor Justin, that's me this morning. I've really been inviting Jesus to follow me rather than making that decision to follow him. And I want to make that decision today. I want to renew my commitment to follow Christ as we lead up to Easter, thinking about the cross and everything Jesus did to win my salvation. God, today, I want to make that decision leading up to Resurrection Sunday, following Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Thank you. Maybe for those of you who have never made the decision to follow Christ, thank you, I see you in the back as well. You've never made the decision to follow Jesus, not at all. And today you've heard the message and you wanna make that commitment for the first time. You wanna give your life to Christ. We heard in the message today that that lifestyle of self-gratification, living for self, trying to gratify our flesh and living to appease culture, it's exhausting and there's no eternal perspective in it. It's all here and now. What can I get today? Give me more, give me more, give me more. Rather than being in that place where we live our lives serving others, giving of ourselves to others as Jesus did. You can pick up any magazine on any supermarket rack and read stories of people with millions and millions and millions of dollars who seem to have it all but yet are miserable. Their lives are falling apart. When we follow Christ and we live our lives in response to his great mercy, not only is there blessing that we experience in this life, but we get the promise of eternity with him. So if you'd like to commit your life to Jesus this morning, maybe for the first time, or maybe you're just, you're backslidden, you've fallen away from him. Would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Father, this morning, for those who have acknowledged this morning that they're going to take this season of Easter to recommit, to follow, man, the reality is we'd all spend a little more time with God. We could all work on the flesh and begin to deal with some of those desires, God, that draw us away from you. And we all have opportunity to be more of your hands and feet in our communities and in our neighborhoods. So Father, as we acknowledge that this morning, just like the song we sang, God, at the end of worship, we commit to follow you, but we make room to come, for you to come and do whatever you want to with our lives, God. Have your way in our hearts and our lives, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out by singing this song together.